Uh, this is our uh, continuing discussion of Simone Doan's uh, individuation in the light of, no <clears throat> of notions of form and information. So we're just towards the end of um, section one of the uh, of uh, chapter one, I believe, is where we are. And we're just at the bottom of page 44 for people that uh, are going to be following along afterwards. So I can start reading. Uh, I think this is one of these giant paragraphs again, so I'll read about a page and then uh, we'll stop to discuss. Yet there is a considerable amount of subjectivity in the point of view of the master as well as in that of the artisan. The hexity of the object defined in this way gets at nothing but the partial aspects what the master perceives gets at the fact that objects are multiple. Their number is proportionate to the quantity of matter employed. The number results from the fact that this very mass of matter has become this very object, this other mass of matter, this other object. The master rediscovers the matter in the object, like the tyrant who, with the help of Archimedes, uncovered the fraud of the goldsmith who makes a certain mass of silver with the gold that would have been reserved to make a golden crown. For the tyrant, the crown is a crown made of this gold, of this particular gold. Its hexiety is foreseen and awaited even before the action of fabrication. Since the artisan, for the one who commands without laboring, is the man who possesses the techniques to transform the matter without modifying it, without changing the substance. For the tyrant, what individualizes the crown is not the form that the goldsmith gives it, but the matter already having liquidity before its transformation. This very gold, and not any metal whatsoever, or even any gold whatsoever. Even today, the search for, this hexiety, for the hexiety in matter practically exists in the man who commands the action. For a landowner of the forest, the act of giving wood to a sawmill to chop up supposes that the wood will not be exchanged against that of another landowner and that the products of the sawing operation will be made from the wood he has provided. However, this substitution of matter would not be a fraud, like in the case of the goldsmith who makes silver with gold in order to be able to conserve a certain quantity of fine gold. But the attachment of the landowner to the conservation of his matter depends on irrational motives, one of which no doubt is the fact that the hexiety does not simply recover an objective characteristic detached from the object, from the subject, but has the value of a belonging and an origin. Only a commercially abstract thought could fail to attach a price to the hexiety of the matter and fail to seek a, a principle of individuation in it. The man who gives the matter to be elaborated places value on what he knows, what is attached to him, what he has surveyed and seen grow. For him, the initial concrete is the matter insofar as it is his, belongs to him, and this matter must be extended into objects. Due to its quantity, this matter is a principle of the number of objects that will result from form taking. This tree will become this or that plank. All the trees taken individually one by one will become this heap of planks. This is a passage from the hexiety of the tree to the hexiety of the planks. What this passage expresses is the permanence of what the subject recognizes of himself in the objects. The expression of the self here is the concrete realization of property, the bond of belonging. By placing the hexiety in information, the artisan does, no, does not act otherwise, but since he is not the landowner of the matter on which he works, he does not know this matter as a singular thing. It is foreign to him, it is not linked to his individual history, to his effort qua matter. It is merely that on which he works. He ignores the origin of the matter and elaborates it in a preparatory way until it no longer reflects its origin until it is homogeneous, ready to take form, just like any other matter suitable for the same labor. The artisanal operation, to a certain extent, denies the historicity of the matter concerning what is human and subjective about it. Conversely, this historicity is known to the one who has supplied the matter and valued it, 
because it is deposited with something subjective, because it expresses human existence. That last sentence uh, uh, fooled me. <clears throat> it ended up being much longer than I expected. It was a whole, one of those classic Simono sentences with a whole long string of semicolons. Um, but yeah, so uh, we're still discussing the social roots of the hylomorphic uh, schema, um, picking up from where we left off last week. Um, and the the use of the hylomorphic schema um, in relation to um, the the person who commands the work to be done. So um, in the previous example, he gave uh, of the the the, the owner who um, gives a certain amount of clay to be made into bricks, and uh, for for this owner, the the clay is what it serves as the the principle of individuation. So the um, brick commanded uh, is is an abstract brick. Um, and it's the matter that um, goes into it that um, makes up the individuality of those bricks, and uh, and so he contrasts Simon will contrast this with the uh, the actual workers' um, position in the in relation to uh, individuation because for the worker um, each act of brick making is slightly different. Um, they uh, you know one is more forceful or or slightly less forceful or more precise uh, and less precise over the course of the day as, as the worker becomes tired so that uh, each individual form taking operation is is slightly different uh, and so this uh, form taking or form imposing operation is what individuates the bricks for the worker um, so there's a, a social uh, root of uh, of these two different um, approaches to the hylomorphic schema or two different uh, versions of the hylomorphic schema in terms of where we find the principle of individuation. And then now he's he's qualifying that a little bit um, in the sense that the, um, so as he says, there's a considerable amount of subjectivity also in the point of view of the artisan. So both the master and the artisan have this, this subjectivity to their um, view on uh, individuation. So the subjectivity for the the artisan it consists in the fact that there is a, a certain abstractness that still remains in the the act of the artisan, um, uh, in particular uh, with with relation to the matter employed. Um, and so he gives the example of the there's a famous um, story uh, I forget what the actual source of it is, but um, uh, a story that um, about Archimedes. Um, being able to determine that uh, this artisan had uh, falsely, uh, or uh, this artisan was given uh, gold to make into a crown, and the artisan took some of the gold, uh, kept some of the gold, and uh, mixed silver in with the rest. Um, uh, and uh, Archimedes was able to discover this based on the um, the mass of the whole of the crown. Um, it was. Uh, a, I guess slightly lower than it should have been. Um, I think uh, gold is denser than silver, if I, I remember correctly. Um, and so uh, the mass of the crown was less than it should have been, uh, and and so Archimedes was able to discover the fraud um, uh, because of this. Um, and so the the relationship of uh, ownership of the matter. Um, that it goes into the the object produced um, uh, implies a, a certain um, relationship to the the heisity of that matter. Um, so it's not just um, not just any matter, any metal or whatever that goes into the crown um, that that satisfies the the owner. It has to be gold, and in particular, this gold that I gave to the artisan 
uh, to produce the crown from. Um, so uh, on the one hand, the, uh, the owner has this um, sort of external relationship to the, the individuation um, because they, they um, are not involved in that process of form taking. But on the other hand, they also have um, this um, attachment to the hexiety of the matter in a way that the artisan does not have. Um, so these different perspectives are, are complementary in a way. Um, it seems like to me, part of what he's setting up, like this is still a critique of the um, technical operation, a critique of hylomorphism because of its dependence on the technical operation, which is inseparable from the the social dimension. And so like the two perspectives that the social dimension gives rise to, um, neither of them is, is sufficient. Neither of them gives like a complete picture of the actual process of individu individuation. So maybe that's another, another problem with, um, with hylomorphism itself. Yeah, I think that, that's, that's sort of what I was trying to get at with uh, describing them as complementary, um, these two perspectives. And, and we can compare this also with um, the remarks that we saw in the introduction where Simon Don says about the, the use of complementary concepts in relation to uh, quantum physics. Um, it, it shows the way that um, uh, concepts uh, in the, the, the strict sense that he wants to use the term concepts are inadequate to grasp individuation. Um, so here, I think we can see the same thing um, when uh, the hylomorphic schema wants to try to grasp um, uh, wants to try to grasp uh, the individuation of uh, a brick or or any other object. It has to it, it ends up with these two sort of complementary perspectives, and neither one is capable of, of fully grasping that operation. Um, and so. Um, uh, yeah, I think that that same complementarity is is um, present here as well as in the example of quantum physics. Do, do you think it would be correct to say this? Because <clears throat> I found it an interesting. I was saying in the chat reversal of like the, you would think that the you know the one ordering or the capitalist or the king or whoever it might be, would be the one who has this kind of more anonymous relationship with matter or like you know they're indifferent to hexiety because they just are constantly processing large quantities of it and ordering people to do different things with it but then he kind of and then you would think the artisan who works very closely with each individual piece would be the one who's very you know in in touch with the individual liquidity of each thing but that it's like it's as though he's he's inverting it and saying well no it's actually the the one who is sort of the the false like transcend transcendental subject that's ordering these things to be made and is conceiving of it in the hylomorphic schema actually deeply cares about from whence or, you know, where the product came from because it's their so-called investment or their, you know, it's part of this whole project that they're undertaking. So, you know, the lumber that they cut or the clay that that was mined for them versus the, the artisan kind of, since they were, I'm the way I'm gathering it is that it's, it's not, it's not quite a direct sort of Marxist critique, but in a way it's like they're, because they're alienated from, the thing that they're producing, it almost is, doesn't matter to them where it's coming from. And so, and, and you know, so it, I don't know, does that make sense? It seems sort of inverted in an interesting way. Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, <clears throat> I think there's a, almost a dialectical, um, I mean, Simon Don wouldn't like the use of that term because uh, for him, this is not a dialectical process, but there's a sort of inversion from one uh, moment of the argument to the next where he, at first, um, at first he sets up 
um, as if the artisan has this, um, as you said, sort of a closer relationship uh, to the the um, object being worked on, um, and uh, you would uh, sort of expect them to have the, um, a relationship to the the matter that they work on. Um, but uh, then he, in the next moment, he uh, inverts that um, expectation. And um, yeah, I think we can compare this to notions of alienation. Um, I would, but I would say with the um, uh, proviso, I guess, that um, in the technical object book, he um, he criticizes to some extent the Marxist notion of alienation um, because he thinks that um, alienation has to do with, um, or or what, what is described as alienation has to do with a, um, a lack of comprehension of the technicity of technical objects. Um, Having uh, having that grasp of that technicity um, would would be uh, um, an overcoming of that alienation. Um, so, in the case of the artisan who um, who is producing uh, a brick or or whatever other um, structure, they they don't have that same uh, separation from the technical object uh, that we can identify in, say, modern factory production, where where you have a worker who doesn't even need to know how a machine operates in order to fulfill their task in relation to that machine. And uh, and so having that alienation in, in the sense that Simon don't uses the term uh, in, in terms of being ignorant of or uh, separated from the technicity of the object. So in the case of the artisan making the brick, they, they don't have that same separation. Um, but I think I think outside of uh, Simon Don's specific use of the term, I, I think it would make sense to describe this as alienation. Um, so the fact that the the worker producing the brick doesn't actually own the material um, that they work on, um, and um, and the fact that they won't own the brick that's produced, they they're producing it for someone else, um, is what is what separates them from the the matter, and uh, and so they they uh, it's uh, an object of indifference to them, uh, and even there's there are certain. Um, like the example of, of the the artisan with the crown from the Archimedes story, it, there's a certain um, I guess conflict of interests um, between the owner and the uh, the worker in terms of the the use of the matter, where um, where the the artisan can have an interest in taking some of that matter for other uses or for their own personal gain, rather than. Uh, imposing the form on it that the owner uh, commanded. So it's that it's that relationship of non-ownership or that um, the the gap between the the worker and the matter that they're working on is is what makes them have this indifference or even uh, conflict of interest um, to the in relation to the matter that they're working on. Uh, here are, here are two. So first thing is that maybe like um, I got it on from scratch but if so, please let me know. Uh, the idea is that um, can you apply like uh, this idea to an individual, a human being level? So what I want to say is like, um, in terms of agency or subjectivity, maybe we can think that we can say that uh, origin or proprietor and both. Uh, proprietor, artisan, and uh, uh, the material, like a brick or other kind of a material, technical object, both experience individuation. So what I want to say is like, for example, brick, it transforms 
its quality or quantity or shape, everything itself. And at the same time, the proprietor or artisan themselves, they also experience some kind of individuation. Uh, the second, second side is that if you move our land to the human being, uh, kind of like in terms of agency and then subjectivity of individuation, for example, if you take an an individual like a human being, if you put the then in that case, who is a proprietor of our individuation? Who is artisan of our individuation? Uh, I'm I'm afraid that like uh my my thinking strange, but um I'd like to hear any kind of opinion about my 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 thought. Yeah, I think it's interesting to contrast with uh, the Hegelian, I guess, Marxist tradition, uh, and maybe why. Simondon is not doing dialectics. I'm I'm trying to figure that out. Um, so, I guess the the way alienation is overcome, I mean, for Hegel, it's very definitely a kind of intersubjective. Uh, the dialectic is intersubjective, right? Like he has the whole moral account of you know evil and its forgiveness. Uh, that kind that overcomes this. Um, um, I guess it's a moral alienation. And for Marx, I mean, he's a materialist, but I think it's still uh, like there are material conditions, but there's still this kind of really essential social relation that is, I think, is really where alienation comes from for him. And it seems like Simon Don is moving away from, like he doesn't, um, I guess maybe the point is that subjectivity is not primary here because subjectivity is really something like a form right something like a soul and we don't want to uh we don't want to take that as a given but the, the subject kind of emerges in the larger system it seems to me and so the you know if we're to overcome alienation really the the the, the original alienation is from the technical process it seems from technicity itself something like that yeah i think uh um i mean not to get into too much um um sort of detail about the the concept of alienation within uh the the hegelian and, and marxist uh tradition um but um it's it's a notion that comes up in uh early works by marx in the the paris manuscripts um and then um doesn't really um it's not a sort of a central concept in his later works, um, although that's a, a controversial point um, within Marxist scholarship. Um, but I think you're right to say that um, there's a, a, a big difference between the way that um, Simon Don is, uh, is using the notion of, of alienation and the overcoming of alienation uh, compared to uh, the way Marxist theorists have, have thought about it. Um, in that uh, for Simon Don, that alienation is primarily uh, something uh, intellectual um, in the sense that it's a, a, non, um, uh, a non-understanding of the technicity of technical objects. Um, so um, there's a, you know, technical objects have a, a, a technical essence uh, that, that you can grasp through understanding their, uh, their functioning, having that grasp um, is a is a, a matter of incorporating that um, functioning into uh, into culture, um, 
and and so he, he talks about a, a reform of education to uh, incorporate technical knowledge into um, the sort of general culture in the same way that we have uh, a certain literary culture as, as like the uh, uh, sort of baseline that everyone is expected to know. So, so it's a, an intellectual, um, an intellectual uh, transformation, a transformation of the education system and so on. Um, but it doesn't change the uh, ownership of the technical objects themselves. Um, and it seems like for Simon Don, what he's describing as alienation is something that we could overcome without changing the ownership of uh, technical objects, um, that we could reform education in, in this way and have you know classes of mechanology or, or general technology, as he calls it, um, uh, and, uh, and incorporate this technical operation into culture uh, in the way that he's um, arguing for without having any change to, um, to uh, ownership of technical objects. Um, whereas, of course, in the, in the Marxist tradition, the, the alienation from, uh, uh, well, alienation from the object of work is, uh, is a result of those ownership relations. Uh, and so it, it's not possible to overcome that relationship through some sort of uh, intellectual uh, transformation or transformation of the education system or something like that. It requires a, um, a, uh, a transformation of, of ownership of, uh, of uh, means of production. Um, so yeah, there, there is a very different understanding of, uh, of alienation and how it's related to social relations um, uh, between Simon Don and, and then the Marxist tradition. I, I was just going to say, I think we, we should continue probably, but I wanted to say that I think also whenever we think about the, these notions of like alienation and intersubjectivity, like that's always going to be something that, uh, well, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't necessarily agree with the idea of, you know, engineering classes replacing uh, problems of ownership. That's not the issue here. I just think philosophically um, with Simone and anything that is about intersubjectivity and kind of like overcoming alienation between, you know, already individuated presumed already individuated sort of like beings that's sort of a problem of the givenness of the terms right so like in this coming section when he's going to talk about uh <clears throat> the split like the, the the problem with the aristotelian sunilon and then the the way in which the the sunilon is actually always split into individual and milieu and then how those interact and and then how that is misunderstood as form and matter and all that like the, the, he wants to get away from this idea of like the intrinsic and the extrinsic and you know that I really actually really enjoyed the coming section but I think it could be helpful to keep in mind whenever we think about because I think every we're all right in the sense that he's clearly touching on he's he's riffing as these philosophers seem to do without citing on a notion that is sort of like alienation but he's developing in, in another direction that's sort of like if we're talking about alienation it's like we're already at the third step or we're already at the point where we're talking about these ter these given terms, and that is that is dialectical. Whereas he wants to go for this this the alegmatic uh, approach that he's saying of like we need to start earlier and in the genesis of the process itself, and locate it at the moment where you know where that splitting happens. And at that point, it's less of a question of reconciling already alienated individual beings and how they relate to each other and how they're different from one another, but sort of how they came to be. Uh, separated i suppose or individuated in the first place that might I'm, that might sound a bit like pedantic but i do think there's something there uh, with that sorry 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 so alienation things like i think 
very fresh, but at the same time, a little bit uh, different from what I thought about the subject of the. So please let me be subject of individuation here, technical object, not the proprietor, right? Like a technical of experiences individuation, right? But uh, yeah, maybe we can come back to that um, in a little bit um, because I think we can probably, we should continue um, and we can come back to that uh, topic um, as we as we keep reading. Um, so if someone else would like to read from uh, uh, up on page 46, um, where does the sentence end? Um, beginning with the Hexiety sought in the matter. Um, so if someone else would like to volunteer. The hexiety sought in the matter depends on a lived attachment to a specific matter that has been associated with human effort and has become the reflection of this effort. The hexiety of the matter is not purely material. It is also a hexiety with respect to the subject. Conversely, the artisan expresses himself through his effort, and the workable matter is nothing but the support and occasion of this effort. It could be said that from the artisan's point of view, the object's hexiety only begins to exist through the effort of shaping. Since this effort of shaping temporarily coincides with the beginning of the hexiety. It is natural that the artisan attributes the foundation of the hexiety to information, although form-taking is perhaps nothing but an event concurrent with the advent of the hexiety of the object, the veritable principle of which is the singularity of the here and now of the complete operation. Likewise, the hexiety begins to exist for the proprietor of the matter with the purchaser act of planting a tree. The fact that later this tree will be matter for a technical operation, uh, sorry, the fact that later this tree will be matter for a technical operation does not yet exist. This tree has a hexiety not as future matter, but as an object or aim of an operation. Later, this tree will conserve the hexiety for the proprietor, but not for the artisan, since he has not planted the tree and has not bought it as a tree. The artisan who signs and dates his work attaches to the hexiety of this work the meaning of his definite effort. For him, the historicity of this effort is the source of this hexiety. It is the initial origin and the principle of individuation of this object. The form has been a source of information through the work. On the other hand, if the question of the foundation of individuation can be legitimately posed, and if this principle is to be sought somewhat in the form and somewhat in the matter according to the type of individuation taken as a model of intelligibility, it is probable that the technical, technological cases of individuation in which form and matter have a meaning are still very particular cases, and nothing proves that the notions of form and matter are generalizable. By contrast, what brings forth the critique of the hylomorphic schema the existence of a middle and intermediate zone between form and matter, the zone of the singularities that are the initiators of the individual in the operation of individuation, certainly must be considered an essential feature of the operation of individuation. It is at the level of these singularities that matter and form encounter one another in technical individuation, and it is at this level that the principle of individuation is the initiator of the operation of individuation. It can therefore be wondered if individuation in general couldn't be understood starting from the technical paradigm obtained through a recasting of the hylomorphic schema, leaving a central place to the singularity that plays a role of active information between form and matter. My very basic understanding of this section, the, especially this last paragraph, is just the, the idea that like the, the basis of the critique of hylomorphism is a good basis for 
a new conception of individuation. I don't know if that's what other people got. Yeah, I think uh, I think that's right. Um, so the the notion of or the the critique of hylomorphism was that dark zone or obscure zone um, in between form and matter um, where they interact with each other. And um, what he's saying in that last paragraph is that if we uh, if we look more closely at that uh, at that zone, that intermediate layer between form and matter. Um, then we uh, will start to um, we'll see it as not not just as, as a obscure zone and uh, um, uh, dark zone, uh, but we'll see it as a um, an area of singularities and um, of uh, of active information. Um, um, and so we we gain a better understanding of individuation itself uh, by looking at at that intermediate layer. Um, um, it's not just it's not purely a negative critique in the sense that it, it doesn't just um, sort of remove uh, 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 an erroneous theory, um, but it's a critique that substitutes uh, a better theory for uh, the erroneous one. Um, and so we'll, we'll start to see in the next uh, section um, what that, uh, that better theory implies in more detail. Um, okay, so I think we can go on to the next uh, section. Um, Section three of the first chapter, um, and then we have subsection one: uh, reality and relativity of the foundations of individuation. Sorry, a foundation of individuation. Um, so, if someone else would like to read, um, say, uh, on just the first paragraph, uh, and then on to the next beginning of the next page. Just uh, yeah, read the first one, and then uh, like maybe halfway through the next page, because it's another big paragraph, I think. Uh, three, the two aspects of individuation. One, reality and relativity of the foundation of individuation. I have square brackets here. The individuation of objects is not entirely independent from the existence of man. The individuated object is an individuated object for man. In man, there is a need to individuate object, which is one of the aspects of the need to recognize oneself and to rediscover oneself in things, and also to rediscover oneself therein as a being who has a definite identity that is stabilized by a role and an activity. The individuation of objects is not absolute. It is an expression of man's psychosocial existence. However, it cannot be arbitrary. There must be a support that justifies and receives it. Despite the relativity of the principle of individuation, such as it is invoked, individuation is not arbitrary. It is indissociable from an aspect of the object that it considers, perhaps wrongly, as the only one possessing a signification. But this aspect, nevertheless, is truly recognized as having a significance. What does not conform to the real is the exclusion of the other points of view within which one could be placed to find other aspects of individuation. This is the unique and exclusive attribution of the principle of individuation to a given type of reality, which is subjective. But the very notion of individuation and the search for individuation, 
taken in itself as expressing a need, are not devoid of signification. The subjectivity of individuation for man and the tendency to individuate objects should not lead to the conclusion that individuation does not exist and does not correspond to anything. A critique of individuation should not necessarily lead to the disappearance of the notion of individuation, but instead should prompt an epistemological analysis that should lead to a veritable apprehension of individuation. I have a footnote here uh, that I don't have in front of me. I guess we'll just pass that over. Um, yeah, sorry, I'll just interrupt. Um, Alyosha posted in the chat the, the footnote there. So it, it just says that the uh, that first paragraph that's in square brackets was removed from the 1964 edition. Uh, so the uh, the first part of this book was published in 1964 um, um, as, a, um, as a separate book. And uh, there's a couple of little passages like this that were removed um, just, I guess, for the purpose of, of uh, making it self-contained as as, uh, as one book rather than as, as a, a portion of the larger work. Um, actually, I think we can stop there um, and uh, and discuss a little bit because there's um, some points to to go over in this paragraph, um, and then we'll continue from there. Um, uh, so yeah, there were a couple of um, translation points that I thought were maybe questionable. Um, they're probably not like big, it's probably not a big deal, but where I would translate it differently than, than the way he's translated it. So um, uh, uh, in that first sentence, um, uh, like after the, the colon, uh, it says, in man, there is a need to individuate objects, which is one of the aspects of the need to recognize oneself and to rediscover oneself in things and also to rediscover oneself therein, uh, et cetera. So uh, I think to rediscover oneself is not really a good translation of uh, se retrouver. I think it would be better to say to find oneself in things um, or or um, to, uh, uh, yeah, find oneself in things, I think is the, probably the best translation. Um, so so it, it's, it's um, it doesn't imply anything like a, um, um, uh, uh, rediscovery suggests something more, I think, um, transformative or something like that. Uh, but um, here, the the meaning is basically synonymous with uh, to recognize oneself in things, uh, as, as a previous uh, uh, phrase has it. Um, um, so, um, yeah, that, that was one translation point. Uh, where was the other one? Um, Uh, I can't see it right now, um, but um, yeah, in terms of the the meaning of this passage, um, um, so he's um, um, uh, he's pointing to this relativity of uh, the principle of individuation that we saw in the last section. Um, so the fact that um, different social roles will um, uh, incline people to find the principle of, uh, of individuation in different uh, aspects, whether form or, or matter. Um, so there's this relativity of the principle of individuation, but that doesn't mean that individuation uh, itself is, is something arbitrary. Um, 
uh, that it, it hasn't, it doesn't mean that individuation is not something real. Um, so, um, what, what he wants to do with his, what he calls this critique of individuation is to, um, get beyond that purely relative, um, uh, search for the principle of individuation towards um, a grasp of that of the real individuation process. Um, and so that's what we're going to be um, moving towards uh, throughout this section is, is that grasp of that real process. So I'm trying to read um, uh, well, what he means by signification here. And, and also earlier in the paragraph, um, well, this point that he makes, D, individuation of objects is not absolute is that an, it is an expression of man's psychosocial existence uh i guess one way to read that might be to say uh that he's putting he's creating a kind of hierarchy here it seems where the object expresses man's existence uh and objects have individuality only through the individuality of humans. Um, and there's definitely, to my mind, something right about that. But I also wonder if in the end he might not say that it's actually there's actually a kind of circularity going on. That it is in the same way, humans actually individuate based on an environment of objects, you know, a kind of maybe cultural milieu or... Uh, something like that yeah i think um um what angus posted in the chat there is is right i think um when he talks about this relativity of individuation or the uh the sort of dependence or partial dependence of individuation of objects on uh on man uh or on the human being um um i think that's only um only true in a limited sense. Uh, so, in the sense that um, um, uh, individuation of technical objects, um, which is what we've been uh, discussing, or this technical individuation, this form matter individuation, um, is relative to human beings uh, in the ways that he discussed in the in the last section, um, and uh, um, but. Other forms of individuation, like uh, vital individuation, that he's going to discuss later. Uh, um, uh, the more um, you can say natural forms of physical individuation, um, like the crystallization that we're going to get into, I think in the next, uh, no, sorry, the third chapter, I believe. Um, um, some of these examples are are examples of individuation that are not relative to human beings in in that sense in the same way that the the uh, form matter individuation is um, so there's uh it's only um, relative to this uh, technical individuation that that technical individuation is um, is relative to um, human interests or or human uh, um, social roles, but um, uh, individuation as as such or in general is not um, is not relative to uh, human interest in the same way. Uh, first, first thing I'd like to ask is about your translation thingy. I I saw the uh, French text and then it says "se retrouver dans les choses." 
So trouver is uh, different from trouver. Trouver is like uh, the rediscover. So I think translation doesn't have any problem. I think uh, so trouver, I think, has has more of a meaning here of uh, um, to recognize oneself in things um, rather than to... Uh, so the, the idea of rediscovery, I think, suggests something transformative. Uh, uh, the, so we talk about someone, you know, rediscovering uh, themselves. Uh, I don't know, I guess if they change their career um, or something like that. Um, uh, whereas here, it, it just has the meaning of um, uh, some sort of uh, identification of uh, the individuation of a human being with the individuation of an object. Um, so um, it's because human beings are individuals that they um, have a, a need to um, identify the individuation of objects um, and and that individuation of objects is therefore relative to this human need um, so I think uh, I think that's the 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 meaning of uh, in that context uh, I like you understood like uh, the retrouver is like a transformation because my understanding of individuation is like a transformative becoming so from the uh, uh, genuine original identities to the uh, other things like uh, I think uh, Simona tried to uh, explain explicate the process of becoming so I think that's much closer to transformation so in that sense I think Hotuve uh, can be just like rediscover and not just like discover like rediscover but it depends maybe like we can we can think it more by reading further and then second thing I'd like to ask is like, I think our discussion is more, I don't, I don't know, directed to anthropocentric. Like, I I don't know, like, it's like, for me, to me, it's quite a reciprocal. So individuation could happen to technical object at the same time. Uh, for example, a human being who who is uh, associated or uh, related to the technical object also may experience individuation so uh, i'm wondering this individuation process can be reciprocal and then it's not just one time thingy so it's kind of like a continuous incessant loop i mean not exactly loop but anyways incessant process of becoming transformation um yeah so um i think i think you're right that um that that uh, idea of individuation as a transformative process is probably what um, the translator uh, Taylor Atkins had in mind when he, when he chose that term. Uh, so yes, uh, uh, so my I guess my suggestion was was not so much a, um, a rejection of of the term, um, but maybe a, a, a different nuance. Um, but uh, yeah. So in general, the the process of um, individuation uh, of psychic individuation and then um, uh, collective individuation that take place in human beings is a is a transformative process. Um, so that there's um, uh, uh, it's is not it's not simply a, a, um, a or it's something much more involved than the form taking that. Um, 
that we've been discussing in the case of the technical object. Um, um, but I, yeah, so yeah, I don't want to spend too much time on, on that translation point because I don't think it's um, ultimately that important uh, which translation we choose there. Um, but um, um, I think the the idea that you that you were pointing to about the reciprocal nature of individuation is, um, uh, I think that's right. I think that's correct um, in the sense that. Um, uh, so in the same way that in this passage, he's pointing to the relativity of uh, individuation of objects to uh, human individuation. Um, so uh, the individual, it's only because human beings are individuals uh, and, and undergo processes of individuation that they're um, capable of uh, individuating objects um, and, uh, and that, that they have this need to individuate objects um, as he puts it, uh, it's a um, it, there's a, a a sort of reciprocality in that sense, um, where the the individuation of the human being and the individuation of the object are are correlated with each other. Shall I read the next paragraph? No, I don't know. I'm going to go ahead. I don't know if I'm not manifest you said anything, but uh, I guess I'll just read this one to the end. I don't know if it makes sense to keep going. I guess we'll see. Um, Critique and epistemological analysis cannot be restricted to indicating a possible relativity of the search of the search for the principle of individuation, and they cannot be restricted to indicating its subjective psychosocial signification. Uh, I'm hearing a bit of feedback. Is that you, Nod? Um, it is furthermore necessary to study the content of the notion of individuation in order to see if it expresses something subjective and if the duality between the conditions of the attribution of this principle to form or to matter is rediscovered in the very content of the notion. Without researching the principle of individuation, the following question can be posed. What is individuation? Yet here, an important divergence appears between two groups of notions. It can be asked why an individual is what it is. It can also be asked why an individual is different from all other individuals and cannot be confused with them. Nothing proves that the two aspects of individuation are identical. To confuse these two aspects is to suppose that an individual is what it is at the interior of itself, in itself, relative to itself, because it involves a definite relation with other individuals and not with another specific individual, but with all other individuals. In the first sense, individuation is a set of intrinsic characteristics. In the second sense, individuation is a set of extrinsic characteristics, i.e. relations. But how can these two series of characteristics accommodate one another? In what sense do the intrinsic and the extrinsic form a unity? Should intrinsic and extrinsic characteristics really be separated and considered as effectively intrinsic and extrinsic? Or instead, should they be considered as indicating a deeper, more essential mode of existence that is expressed in the two aspects of individuation. But then, can it still be said that the basic principle is indeed the principle of individuation with its usual content, i.e. supposing that there is reciprocity between the fact that a being is what it is and the fact that it is different from other beings? It seems that the veritable principle must be discovered at the level of the compatibility between the positive aspect and the negative aspect of the notion of individuation, Perhaps then the representation of the individual will have to be modified, just like the hylomorphic schema in its incorporation of information. All right, thanks for uh, continuing. Uh, my computer froze for uh, a second again. Um, yeah, so here he's um, uh, introducing uh, or bringing us back to the, the problem that he brought up in the introduction of uh, um, the, the fact that 
uh, or questioning the presupposition of uh, a principle of individuation and, and what that uh, presupposition um, sort of implies for the concept of individuation. Um, and so uh, if we, if we um, step away from that assumption, um, or if we, if we don't assume that there's something like a principle of individuation, um, then uh, the, the question, what is, the indi what is individuation, um, has two uh, different meanings, or there's two different types of answers to that question that we could uh, uh, search for. So um, what is individuation could mean, um, uh, why is an individual what it is? Um, so what is it that makes this, that makes an individual be what it is? Um, and then the second one would be, um, what is it that makes uh, an, an individual different from all other individuals? Uh, so what is the, the specificity or the particularity of this individual as opposed to all other individuals? Um, and uh, so there's th th these two questions are, there's a, a, we can take these two questions as uh, um, intrinsic and extrinsic notions of individuation. Um, uh, or as uh, um, positive and negative notions of individuation. So the, the positive one being what is, uh, what is it that makes an individual what it is, and the negative one being what is it that um, makes an individual different from everything else, every other individual. Um, um, but each of these questions um, is, uh, or the, the, the goal that Simon Don was setting himself here is to go beyond these two questions, uh, these two aspects of uh, of individuation conceived of as as sort of uh, outside of each other, as as two independent questions, but to get to something uh, more fundamental, which will um, generate these two aspects of the question or these two aspects of individuation. Um, so it's not just that we have extrinsic and intrinsic notions of individuation, but we'll have a something more fundamental that will um, uh, uh, generate the extrinsic and the intrinsic aspects or, or on which those in extrinsic and intrinsic aspects will be based. Um, so that's the, the sort of big picture of uh, uh, one of the goals that Simondo is setting himself for this work as a whole. So on the face of it, um there's something really Hegelian about this in that like Hegel, I think would describe his own logic in very similar terms, you know, like a, like a, like a ground of extrinsic and intrinsic relations, uh, you know, like the place where those two, uh, both, both, you know, the inner and the outer stem from those, those kinds of formulations. Um, but I think that's just a surface similarity because um, I guess my take is that um, Simondon is not going to want to think of relations as negativity, right? Whereas for Hegel and that, the dialectical tradition, I guess, relation is always a negative, right? It's what something is not. Uh, to go from one thing to another there is a kind of negation that needs to be uh, performed. Whereas it seems to me where Simondon is unique is he, I guess he will be thinking of relation uh, 
in non-negative terms. Uh, and I think that will flow into Deleuze as well. Yeah, I think that's a, a good um, comparison or, or a good uh, contrast between uh, Simondon and Hegel on this point. Um, because what Simondon is going to do or the, the strategy that he's going to um, follow um, is precisely as you as you pointed out, he's going to um, articulate a notion of relation that is not extrinsic. Um, so uh, that's how we overcome this opposition between the the intrinsic and the uh, and the extrinsic aspects is um, the this extrinsic uh, this this level of reality that, uh, in which um, uh, relation has the status of being as as uh, Alyosha. Uh, posted in the chat there. Um, so um, by uh, grasping the process of individuation starting from the pre-individual, then we um, we overcome this opposition between uh, extrinsic and in, and intrinsic aspects of individuation um, because we we understand um, the relations uh, between one object and another. Uh, um, or one individual and another, I should say, um, those relations are are um, not extrinsic relations anymore. They're they're relations um, um, of individuation. Uh, they're relations that um, occur through processes of of individuation. Um, so it's not um, it's not a, a, a dialectical um, overcoming of the opposition uh, because uh, there there's no moment of negation. Uh, in the way that there is in, in uh, the dialectical process, um, it's a it's a um, um, it's a question of um, look, looking underneath uh, that uh, opposition, I guess, uh, or of uh, finding what is more fundamental than the two terms opposed, rather than uh, uh, whereas the, the Hegelian uh, dialectical um, operation of, of overcoming that opposition is a it's a, a sort of going beyond. Uh, uh, that opposition. Um, uh, yeah, that's maybe sort of a, a vague characterization, but we'll see it um, in greater detail as we progress through the book, what it means to um, uh, find what is more fundamental to the, the op uh, overcome the opposition. Should I read the next? Uh... I actually don't, don't know where I would stop. Maybe like... Yeah, I would just Sorry. Sorry, I was going to say maybe like, you know, most of the way, I'll stop most of the way down the next page. Really long yeah, that sounds, that sounds good. Um, a couple, yeah, just there's a couple of short paragraphs so you can read through to halfway down the next page. Okay. We're at how we can, or how can what is proper, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. Okay. How can what is proper to an individual be bound to what this individual would be if it did not possess what it possesses on its own? We should question if an individual's singularity or singularities play a real role in individuation, or instead if these are secondary aspects of individuation that are added to it but do not play a positive role. To place the principle of individuation in form or in matter is to suppose that the individual can be individuated by something that pre-exists its genesis and contains individuation in embryo. 
The principle of individuation precedes the genesis of the individual. When we search for a principle of individuation that exists before the individual, we are forced to place it in matter or in form, since only form or matter pre-exist. Form and matter pre-exist. Because they are separated from one another and because their union is contingent, the principle of individuation cannot be made to reside in the system of form and matter qua system, since the latter is only constituted the moment when matter takes form. Any theory that wants to make the principle of individuation pre-exist individuation must necessarily attribute it to form or to matter and exclusively to one or the other. In this case, the individual is merely the union of a form and a matter, and it is a complete reality. And yet the examination of the operation of form taking as incomplete as that realized by the technical operation shows us that even if implicit forms already pre-exist, form taking can only be effectuated if matter and form are joined in a single system by an energetic condition of metastability. We have called this condition the system's internal resonance, which establishes an allegmatic relation during the actualization of potential energy. In this case, the principle of individuation is the state of the individuating system. This state of allegmatic relation within an energetic complex that includes all the singularities, the veritable individual exists for a mere instant during the technical operation. It lasts as long as the form taking. After this operation, what remains is a result that will begin to degrade and not a veritable individual. This is an individuated being rather than a real individual, i.e. an individuating individual and individual undergoing individuation. Is the system's internal resonance here in the brick making example, would that be the interaction of the forces within the clay when it comes into contact with the force of the the mold um yeah that's how i understand it um I, I think that's right um it's it's that um uh the property of the whole system including clay and brick to be able to transmit forces across across the system uh or sorry including the the clay and the mold um to to transmit forces um and it's that property of, of transmission of force that um um uh is the condition for the form taking uh, to occur, um, and and so that's what he's uh, describing as internal resonance. Um, um, so, in more generally, it would be the capacity for um, uh, the transformation to um, to occur in in a, something that is not yet individuated um, uh, across that that whole unindividuated um, uh, mass or field or whatever it is. Um, so here, there's also um, um he's uh continuing that that uh relativization of the principle of individuation or the the criticism of the the search for our principle of individuation um 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 and and he so he he poses that in the case of the um form taking operation of the brick um that uh what we can identify as the principle of individuation, if we if we really need to find the principle of individuation, is um, um, is actually the the um, 
form taking itself um, it, or the, the system as a whole um, rather than uh, something that pre-exists the individuation process. So it's, it's not in the form or the matter, um, which under the hylomorphic schema, we would have to pick one uh, and say that this is the principle, principle of individuation. Um, we, we are going to find um, the principle of individuation in the process of individuation itself um, in, in that form taking operation. Um, so it's uh, by not presupposing a, uh, a pre-existing principle of individuation, it allows us to um, uh, focus uh, our attention onto the, the process of, um, of, uh, in, of form taking rather than uh, on something that pre-exists uh, the, the form taking operation. So I don't know if um, how big uh, Simondon is on Spinoza, but I think there's a well, there's a kind of Spinozian distinction I think going on here. Um, so the sentence, "This is an individuated being, rather than a real individual, i.e., an individuating individual, an individual undergoing individuation." Um, that. Um, I mean, I guess his uh, his emphasis here is on activity and process rather than you know finished outcome, and it made me think of uh, the uh, natura naturans and natura naturata, which shows up in Spinoza, and I think it's very similar meaning. Yeah, I think um, I mean in general, Simon Don doesn't cite his sources very much, um, but. Um, um, yeah, so a couple of people mentioned that, that he's uh, going to talk about Spinoza in a little bit. Um, and uh, um, I think um, maybe more generally, uh, like Spinoza has a, a whole um, section in the ethics on, uh, on physics um, and um, how the individuation of um, matter uh, or extended being uh, has to do with... Um, uh, the relative motion of uh, of um, portions of that extended being uh, or uh, uh, of extension um, because there's no void in Spinoza's system. Um, so uh, the only the principle of individuation for Spinoza is uh, is um, relative motion. Um, and I think something uh, like that, or I think that that notion of um, uh, like a dynamic notion of uh, of individuation um, that you can find in Spinoza is probably um, something that is sort of in the background for uh, Simon Don's um, theory of individuation. Um, that and um, that what what a, what is an individual? Um, what makes something individual is uh, um, has to do with um, its uh, its becoming over time. Uh, how it uh, preserves a certain structure or um, undergoes transformations over time. Um, um, so I think, I think there's a, um, a more general Spinozist background to some of the uh, ideas that uh, Simon Don is, um, is uh, developing. Um, but yeah, I think that um, the contrast that you point to that uh, uh, an individuated individual uh, versus an individuating individual um, probably is uh, a reference back to that natura naturata, natura naturans uh, distinction. Um, 
Yeah, and and just one small translation point again here is that um, um, the well, let me just bring up the English. Um, oh, sorry, it was up further. Um, uh, sorry, I can't find it. But um, the when when it says um, when he talks about the the individuated individual. Um, uh, yeah, so the way I would translate that that passage is um, it is a, an individuated being rather than a real individual that is an, an individuating individual, an individual individuating itself. Um, I think I think the translation was undergoing individuation rather than uh, individuating itself, uh, which I think is a, is a better translation there um, because the 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 true individual um, uh, or the, what he calls the the real individual here um, is uh, is something that um, is not just a product of an individuation process, but um, is also the the agent of individuation or brings about its own individuation, um, which is what he he describes as characteristic of living individual or vital individuation um, um, that uh, living beings. Um, uh, individuate themselves. They they are active in the process of individuation, um, but uh, we're we're still a ways away from getting to the uh, chapter on vital individuation. So I don't want to sort of get ahead of ourselves too much. Um, so I think we can continue. Uh, uh, I can read the next bit. Um, so we ended with. Um, yeah, the individual undergoing individuation. Yeah, there it is. Um, um, so I'll pick up from there. The veritable individual is one that conserves its system of individuation with it, thereby amplifying singularities. The principle of individuation is in this energetic system of internal resonance. Form is only the individual's form if it is form for the individual, i.e. if it is suitable for the singularity of this constituting system. Matter is the individual's matter only if it is matter for the individual i.e. if it is implicated in this system, if it enters into this system as the vehicle of energy and is distributed in accordance with the distribution of energy. However, the appearance of this reality of the energetic system no longer allows us to say that there is an extrinsic aspect and an intrinsic aspect of individuation. It is at the same time and through the same characteristic that the energetic system is what it is and is distinguished from other systems. Form and matter, which are realities anterior to the individual and separate from one another, rest of the world, since these are not realities that have any reference to energy. But the energetic system in which an individual is constituted is neither more intrinsic nor, ex nor extrinsic to the, this individual. It is associated with this individual. It is this individual's associated milieu. Through its energetic conditions of existence, the individual does not merely exist within its own limits. It emerges from a singularity. For the individual, relation has the value of being. The extrinsic cannot be distinguished from the intrinsic. What is truly and essentially the individual is the act of relation, the exchange between the extrinsic and the intrinsic. There is extrinsic and intrinsic relative to what is first. What is first is the system of internal singular resonance, the system of the allogmatic relation between two orders of magnitude. In terms of this relation, there is the intrinsic and the extrinsic, but the individual is truly this relation and not the intrinsic, which is merely one of the concomitant terms. The intrinsic, the interiority of the individual would not exist without the ongoing relational operation that the ongoing individuation is. The individual is the reality of a constituting relation. 
not the interiority of a constituted term. It is only when the result of a completed or supposed completed individuation is considered that the individual can be defined as a being with an interiority relative to which an exteriority exists. The individual individuates and is individuated before any possible distinction of the extrinsic and the intrinsic. The third reality, which we call milieu or constituting energetic system, should not be conceived as a new term that would be added onto matter. The milieu is the very activity of relation, the reality of the relation between two orders that communicate across a singularity. So this this passage, especially the, the last section of the paragraph, did get me to start thinking a little bit about um, the, um, the faultiness in the system of, uh, of political representation and identity <clears throat> uh, and how uh, that doesn't seem to abide by what Simone, Simone Doan is describing uh, here, which is sort of the uh, underlying relations that then uh, differentiate the actual process of experience um, outside of these preconceived what he what I guess in in ref, refracting off of, off of this point that he's making are sort of preconceived notions of um, uh, political identity uh, because it seems like he's he's providing a um, some explanatory power to the subject's experience um, that kind of transcends our notions of identity to a certain extent. I think there is still some tension there given the uh, the amount of information that is packed into the political um, as well as the identity of the individual. So maybe you guys can unpack that or speak to that a little bit. I think what I would say what I would say is that um, um, we probably won't be able to have a good grasp of political identity or something along those lines until we get to the chapter on collective individuation um, um, because um, um, yeah, we need to get through uh, psychic individuation first and then uh, collective individuation and we'll, we'll uh, see his concept of the trans individual um, um, which is um, sort of uh, the the individuation that um, goes beyond one individual. Um, so there's a, always the pre-individual uh, remnant um, um, that is uh, beyond any one individual. Um, and uh, um, the, yeah, so the resulting individuals, uh, the ones that result from the, the psychic individuation um, will be, um, uh, relative to the the milieu um and um yeah so i think we should probably wait um a little bit to discuss the the concept of political identity um and how that fits in with uh, the process of individuation uh, as simon don uh, describes it okay fair enough i just wanted to add that i see some <clears throat> relation or um parallel that can be drawn again with bergson and here I feel like Simon Doan is writing uh, more about the, yeah, the, he's kind of 
some granularity where he's writing about certain elements that are uh, sort of within the scope of uh, what Bergson um, see, I think there's a little bit more specificity to Simon Dome, but they're kind of on the same plane. That's what I'm curious. Yeah, there's definitely. Um... Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to ask something else actually. So go for it and I can go after. Um, yeah, I was just going to quickly say um, that. Um, yeah, Bergson is definitely one of Simondon's key sources. Um, but in this particular passage, I don't see the um, sort of direct uh, 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 influence from Bergson. Um, I'm not sure if um, he's really thinking of, uh, except in so far as um, um, there's that, that sort of dynamic quality of thought that both of them are um, uh, um, sort of developing um, in so that um, they they want to understand um, uh, they want to overcome sort of rigid oppositions through introducing something like a movement or um, a dynamics of thought um, and uh, and I think that's common to both uh, Bergson and Simondon um, and so um, yeah, that that might be at work in this passage, but I don't think there is like a like there are some some passages where you can tell he's definitely referring back to something from Bergson, but here I don't think it's quite as direct as uh, some other passages. So the thing I was wondering about is uh, how to understand the uh, uh, this I guess so to, to backtrack one step I can see how the the hylomorphism tends to privilege a kind of internal identity or an intrinsic identity um, especially I, I guess if if form is the individuating factor right form is something inner kind of self-contained non-relational um, Okay, I guess my question though is, if we take the milieu to be the source or kind of original, um, the, 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 the original site of individuation, I'm having some trouble seeing how we're going to get anything intrinsic out of them. It seems to me, I guess I wonder, doesn't milieu actually privilege the extrinsic quite a bit? Because when I think of a of an environment or a surroundings or a context, you know, or relation, you know, the notion of an outside or an extrinsic or, um, you know, like going outside of one's of a self, uh, that seems to be much more dominant. And uh, I wonder if that maybe is a just a feature of Simondon's account that the external is privileged in a sense though uh, that i guess would have been my impression also from reading like somebody like merleau ponty um but the way he frames it here though kind of his program he seems to want to put the intrinsic and the extrinsic extrinsic on the same footing um so 
I'm sorry. I guess I'm getting some dissonance there. If that makes sense. Yeah, I think that's a good question. Um, um, I think um, what I would say in, in response to that is that um, um, there's a, so the, the relationship between the intrinsic and extrinsic um, is something that's going to be secondary for, for Simon Don. Um, uh, and we shouldn't, um, we shouldn't confuse the, the level of at, at which we have the intrinsic and the extrinsic, that secondary level with the, um, the pre-individual, um, that precedes that, um, precedes that, um, uh, individuation, uh, and, and the level at which we have, uh, uh, the intrinsic and extrinsic. So the, the pre-individual, um, is what results, um, is what results in, um, the intrinsic and extrinsic, um, appearing as, as two separate aspects. Um, uh, it's not, um, it's not itself extrinsic, um, um, it's it's what um, makes it possible to have uh, an intrinsic and extrinsic aspects um, secondarily. Um, so, yeah, we need to um, we need to grasp the the pre individual as something that is before um, or prior to the opposition between intrinsic and extrinsic. So the both uh, both the interiority of the individual and its uh, extrinsic. Um, uh, differentiation from uh, all other individuals, both aspects will result from that pre-individual um, reality and the process of individuation. Um, so I think um, in that sense, there, is, there isn't uh, um, a, a privileging of the extrinsic because it's not, uh, um, the extrinsic doesn't exist yet at that, at that level of the pre-individual. And then I think you got the point because, like, uh, uh, my understanding of the milieu is more like an environment, whether it is intrinsic or extrinsic. It's kind of like uh, that the, uh, the phase. Like, a, if you think of a process or a process of individuation, we can think of a pre-individual phase and and then metastable phase things like that. So milieu should be uh, something. Um, some kind of how do I say, um, thing uh inter which makes it which make interaction possible, I mean which makes relation possible. So like a more like environment. Yeah, that's that's um I think that's right. Um, the 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 individual and the milieu um appear together at the same time so they they're both results of the the pre-individual um undergoing a process of individuation um um so the the um the yeah the the milieu is um is produced um alongside the individual um um rather than being uh something that is sort of um uh, left behind, I guess, um, by the individual, uh, if that makes sense. Um, but yeah, I think Angus has, uh, has suggested that the, we're going to see that distinction, uh, 
in the next bit. So maybe we should continue reading and that will help to uh, clarify some of these points. So if someone else would like to pick up from uh, uh, the hylomorphic schema on page 50. I'll read it. I'll just finish this section, yeah, because it's just two short paragraphs. Um, the hylomorphic schema is not merely inadequate for the knowledge of the principle of individuation. It also leads to a representation of individual reality that is incorrect. It turns the individual into the possible term of a relation, whereas the individual, on the contrary, is a theater, an agent of relation, of a relation. The individual can only be a term in an ancillary way because it is, it is essentially a theater or agent of an interactive communication. To want to characterize the individual in itself or relative to other realities is to turn it into a relational term, i.e. into a relation with itself or a relation with another reality. First, one must find the point of view from which the individual can be grasped as an activity of relation, not as a term of this relation. Properly speaking, this in, the individual is in relation neither with itself nor with other realities. It is the being of relation and not a being in relation, for relation is an intense operation, an active center. Consequently, the act of researching, if the principle of individuation is what makes it such that the individual is positively itself, or if it is what makes it such that the individual isn't other individuals, does not correspond to individual reality. The principle of the individual is the individual itself in its activity, which is relational in itself as a center and singular mediation. Oof. I think that last bit is really helpful when he says it is the being of relation and not a being in relation, because as soon as we start talking about it sort of in relation, it, it very quickly we start to kind of fall into the relational term way of talking about individuals, whereas describing it as an aspect of relation, sort of like the way that uh, the being of relation comes to be, one aspect of it is this individual and sort of in the, or, or is individuation that produces an individual, but that's not all of that it is. And that, that previous paragraph where he says, I don't know exactly how he says it, but he, he says something along the lines of like to, to talk about things with the individual as though it is separate from all of these other processes is like you're, you're already kind of, um, you know, doing a violence to the, the all the defasing and the, the, the relationship in the milieu that is required to reach this stage. And we're just we're just strictly speaking of kind of uh, you know already produced realities and trying to then restitch them together and say how they're related rather than you know the, with the earlier conversation that yeah I was saying like that there's something about how the milieu and individual are kind of simultaneously produced inside of the the metastable sort of relationship or or, or they're produced together at the same time rather than you know, one emerging out of the other or, or something like that. And the, the Muriel Combs, she does a, she has a good example of the the plant, the way the plant emerges from and also produces its milieu, which I thought was helpful uh, as well that I tried to paste in chat in this regard. Yeah, I think uh, this is a, um, a bit of a dense uh, section, these last two paragraphs. Um, but um, the key idea is is trying to reframe our our way of thinking of individuals um, away from uh, the already constituted individual to towards the process of individuating instead, 
Um, and uh, uh, so, th so that's what it means to treat um, uh, to, to treat individuals as a being in relation means to treat an individual as something already constituted uh, in relation to some other entity that is already constituted. Um, uh, and then instead we want to treat uh, in the individual as the reality of uh, relation um, so that uh, it, it's the individual is a reality of a, of a relationship uh, um, between um, uh, um, the, the pre-individual uh, and, uh, and the process of individuation. Um, there, there's um, the, the individual is not, um, is not the product of a process of individuation. The individual is, um, uh, as he puts it, the theater or agent of the process of individuation. Um, and, uh, um, and so we have to sort of reframe our thinking around, uh, uh, away from seeing the products and instead to see the production, um, I think would be the, the sort of short way of putting it. This part, like, uh, sorted out the questions, like, we discussed beforehand, like, the particular agent and the theater at the same time. So I think then anything, any individual, any technical object which is related to individuation can be theater agent at the same time. And then uh, what I understand then of relation, not in relation, I think that has to do with the, like the becoming, right? Like a transformation. It's such as ongoing, ongoing change. Things like that. Yeah, I really like this um, this paragraph, and uh, I like what you guys have shared in your um, uh, interpretations. Um, <clears throat> there's a lot going on here for me. Definitely seeing the the power of um, the preposition in understanding process or or how to move from <clears throat> uh, a semantics of objects to semantics of process and then i was also thinking about the theater poses a little bit of a of a problem for me initially because it sort of reminds me of a a little bit of a simulacra um when it rubs up against this this sense or intuition of a poesis, <clears throat> and a poesis not just of the um, the individual themselves, but of the the interaction. So there's a lot of really amazing opening, you know, the inside of it here, the the, the opening into thinking about the interactive sort of poesis. Uh, but the theater, yeah, is a little problematic because it kind of creates this um, imaginary aspect or the um, possible slip into the, um, the remainder being a spectacle and, and could 
lose the ever-flowing aspect of the poesis. But there's a lot, there's a lot going on. This, <clears throat> and he could have just stopped at uh, that before. He, uh, I mean, Simon Do, and he's kind of explicated a little bit more. Um, but it was a real poetic, aesthetic moment when he said it's a being of relation and not a being in relation. So I really like this paragraph, too. <clears throat> yeah, like uh, theater is kind of like a place to be seen. What understand that kind of thing? So going back to like a break or anything like uh, we talked uh, about, like, for example, technical object, that can be the object to be seen. At the same time, it itself, the agent of all individual agent. Likewise, human being also, as an individual, can be an object of relation, at the same time, the subject of a relation. Yeah, sorry, I froze this very second there again. Um, yeah, I think um, what I would say is that the, when we talk about the, or when Simon Don talks about um, the the individual as a, a theater, um, um, I think, um, yeah, I would not put too much weight on uh, on the um, concept of the of the theater here. Um, I think it, it it basically it basically just means here um, a space in which um, actions are are occurring. Um, uh, I think that's that's how I understand it. Um, um, and uh, the theater here, yeah, is, is so. Um, there's always like each time he he uses the term theater, he always says theater or agent, um, and which is a a little bit of a, um, um, I guess a, a difficult um, disjunction um, in the sense that. Uh, uh, in the, the sort of standard um, representation of a theater, you would have a, something, a distinction between uh, the theater and the, the agent that performs uh, in the theater. Um, but here, we have to understand the individual as, at the same time, uh, the theater and the agent that performs within the theater. So um, there's a, um, uh, yeah, the, the, the notion of the theater, we have to always think of it as theater or agent at the same time. Um, and not as uh, um, as a theater alone, I think. Um, but that's that's how I understand the use of the term theater here. Um, yeah, I was just going to ask whether uh, actually, yeah, we started um, about ten after, so we have time to uh, to start the next section, I think, um, and and uh, read a couple paragraphs. So yeah, if uh, someone else would like to start the next section, um, if they can pick up from there. <clears throat> Uh, yeah, I can read the, I'll read the first, um, the first paragraph. Uh, section two, the energetic foundation of individuation, individuation and milieu. We would like to show that the principle of individuation is not an isolated reality, that it is not localized within itself, and that it does not pre-exist the individual like an already individualized embryo of the individual. Uh, that the principle of individuation in the strict sense of the term is the complete system in which the genesis of the individual takes place. That, moreover, the system, this system outlasts itself within the living individual as a milieu associated with the individual in which individuation continues to take, to take place. And that life is therefore an ongoing individuation. 
an individuation continued through time, extending a singularity. What the hylomorphic schema lacks is the indication of the condition of communication and of metastable equilibrium, i.e. the condition of internal resonance in a determined milieu, which can be designated by the physical term of the system. The notion of system is necessary to define the energetic condition for potential energy only exists relative to the possible transformations in a defined system. The limits of this system are not arbitrarily selected by the knowledge that the subject gains from them. These limits exist relative to the system itself. Um, the social notion that he discussed earlier that is true, but only in a limited sense, um, the knowledge that the subject gains from the, the system. Yeah, I think um, I think that's at work here. But I think more generally, he he wants to. Um, uh, so uh, he he's in the previous sentence. He um, he mentions that the potential energy um, is only defined in relation to um, uh, a system with its possible uh, transformations. Um, um, but he wants to sort of uh, make sure that we don't understand that as meaning that um, uh, potential energy is something that it is a, a sort of a, a construct of um, the physicist who studies a system uh, and, and something that would not have um, uh, its own reality um, independent from the, the knowing subject. Um, so, um, yeah, so the, the potential energy is... Um, is actually uh, a real um, uh, property of the system independently of our, our knowledge of that system. Um, uh, and, um, and so this is, um, um, this is why, or, or one reason why the hylomorphic schema is inadequate um, is because it's drawn from um, this type of individuation, the technical individuation that, um, uh, in which that, uh, condition of internal resonance um, um, sort of disappears uh, once once the process of individuation occurs. Um, you have the, the form-taking operation, uh, and then you have a, a resulting individual which can only degrade from there. Um, uh, whereas if we turn towards the vital individuation as, as, a, as a model instead of a technical individuation, then we get um, this grasp of... Um, uh, of the individuating system, uh, the whole system undergoing individuation, um, in which that uh, that notion of potential energy as a real property of the system is is much more um, apparent and is, is not doesn't just sort of disappear into that dark zone in the middle um, uh, where as it did in the hylomorphic schema. Um, so that's um, another uh, another reason why or another. Um, consequence of the inadequacy of the hylomorphic schema. Uh, according to this path of research, the constituted individual wouldn't be able to seem like an entirely detached absolute being in conformity with the model of substance, like the pure sunilan. Individuation would be nothing but one of the possible becomings of a system and would be able, moreover, to exist on several levels and more or less completely. The individual as a definite, isolated, consistent being would be merely one of the two parts of the complete reality. Instead of the sunilan, it would be the result of a certain organizational event occurring within the sunilan, 
and dividing the latter into two complementary realities, the individual and the associated milieu after individuation. The associated milieu is the complement of the individual relative to the original whole. The individual alone is therefore not exactly a type of being. For this reason, it cannot maintain a relation qua term with another symmetrical term. The separate individual is an incomplete, partial being that can only be adequately known if it is put back into the sunalan from whence it originates. The model of being is either the sunalan before the genesis of the individual or the individual associated milieu coupling after the genesis of the individual. I read that weird. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, instead of conceiving individuation as a synthesis of form and matter or of body and mind, we shall represent it as a splitting or a resolution, a non-symmetrical distribution occurring in a totality start starting from a singularity. For this reason, the individual is not a concrete being, a complete being, to the extent that it is merely a part of the being after the re resolving individuation. The individual cannot account for itself on the basis of itself, because it is not the being's whole to the extent that it is the expression of a resolution. It is simply the complementary symbol of another real, i.e., the associated milieu. Here, as in Plato, the word symbol is taken in the original sense relating to the usage of relations of hospitality. A stone broken into two halves produces a pair of symbols, each fragment conserved by the descendants of those who have bound together relations of hospitality can be brought together with its complementary piece in a way so as to reconstitute the initial unity of the broken stone. Each half is a symbol relative to the other. It is the complementary of the other relative to the initial whole. The symbol is not what each half is relative to the people who produced it, but each half relative to the other half with which it reconstitutes the whole. The possibility of the reconstitution of a whole is not a part of hospitality, but an expression of hospitality. It is a sign. Shall I stop there or shall I continue? Um, yeah, let's stop there for now. Um, um, yeah, I just wanted to mention that the this symbol idea, uh, the um, the notion of of the um, this practice of breaking a, a a stone or a piece of pottery or whatever, um, and uh, and using the two halves to um, recognize each other. Um, it, this is an example that Simon don't use it all the time. Uh, in in a number of works, um, so anytime you see the word symbol, uh, whether in this book or another one, you should always think of that example. Um, that's that's always what he has in mind when he's talking about symbols. It's interesting because the way the commonsensically the way that you think of even the word milieu, you would think that it's out of the milieu that the individual you know proceeds, but. Again, going back to our earlier discussion, it's he's saying the. Uh, let me see if I can find the sentence. Um, well, just the, the yeah, the associated milieu is the complement of the individual relative to the original whole. So the original whole isn't the milieu. The milieu is something that is also produced by it, which I think kind of helps. Kind of what when we get into the normal hylomorphic discussions, how it can seem like impossible to get outside of that milieu individual dynamic but but that's you know that's only one layer or like the second step of an even earlier process of ontogenesis i guess i'm not sure what the word is but you know of, of becoming for simonium yeah and uh the other side of that is that um the the individual understood um uh independently from the the milieu that that is complementary to it the, the isolated individual um is is always a partial reality for Simondon. Um, so it's not 
much. Um, um, so this is another um, uh, failure of the hylomorphic schema um, in that it, it treats something like um, a brick as um, as a, a, a self-contained reality, um, um, and it takes that as the the sort of paradigm of what an individual is. Um, uh, but then, uh, what Simon Don wants us to do by by or the, what Simon Don is trying to um, how he's trying to reframe our, our way of thinking is to take a, a living individual instead as a as a paradigm of, of what an individual is, um, and uh, in the way that a living individual um, is always uh, always arises with Amelia and is always complementary to Amelia, um, and uh, and so that the 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 individual individuated being uh, is is always a partial reality. Um, rather than something self-contained and, and independent. Um, so that's um, another uh, reason to um, prefer uh, the vital individuation as a model or uh, individuation as a whole, rather than taking the hylomorphic schema um, that takes uh, technical individuation as the model. Okay, so we have a couple minutes left. So um, I think we can... Um, continue and try to read the last little bit. Where are we? Um, um, sorry, I went up too far. Right after the Plato comment. So after the parentheses, individuation. Right. Okay, I'll start from there. Individuation will thus be presented as one of the possibilities of the beings becoming that responds to certain definite conditions. The method employed consists in not being given beforehand the realized individual that must be explained, but in grasping the complete reality before individuation. Indeed, if the individual is grasped after individuation, then we wind up with the hylomorphic schema because nothing would remain in the individuated individual except these two visible aspects of form and matter. Yet the individuated individual is not a complete reality, and individuation is not explainable by means of the mere elements that the analysis of the individual after individuation can discover. The role of the energetic condition the condition of the state of the constituting system cannot be grasped in the constituted individual. This is why it has been ignored even to this day. In fact, the different studies of individuation have wanted to, gra <clears throat> to grasp in the constituted individual an element capable of explaining the individuation of this individual. This would only be possible if the individual were and had always been a complete system unto itself. But individuation cannot be inducted on the basis of the individual. The genesis of the individual in a system can only be followed step by step. At a certain point, every regressive step seeking, seeking to lead back to individuation, starting from individuated realities, discovers another reality, a supplementality that can be variously interpreted according to the presuppositions of the system of thought in which the research is carried out. For example, by resorting to the schema of creation in order to put matter and form into relation, or instead in the doctrines that want to avoid creationism by the men of atoms and the force of nature that pushes them to encounter one another with an implicit effort. Konata es nequiquam, which is what Lucretia says about nature. Right. So this is the, um, as, as Angus has pointed out in, in the chat, this is the the argument that he's um, presented uh, in the introduction, and I think a couple times since then, um, that um, the search for something like a principle of individuation um, is is question begging because you you start from something that already has the character of an individual, um, and and try to use that to explain. Um, individuation. So um, 
in the the schema of creation, um, um, then you have um, you have something like a, uh, a a creator, a demiurge, or whatever it is that that um, takes the matter and imposes a form on it. Um, and uh, in the in the um, hylum, or sorry, in the atomistic um, schema, you have these atoms that already pre-exist the operation of individuation, um, and that uh, are are joined together by the Kleinemann by this swerve in the the fall of the atoms, um, and that produces uh, composite individuals um, like human bodies and so on. Um, uh, and so, in each case, the um, the uh, explanation for individuation leads back to something that is already uh, of the form of an individual. Um, and so you're, you're only pushing the problem back one step, basically. Um, so that's, that's the, the structure of, the, of that argument here, um, which he's given already in the introduction. Um, yeah, so I think that's uh, a good place to end here at the bottom of the page or at the top of the, the following page, I guess, the top of 53. Um, so uh, thank you everyone for um, participating today um, and uh, hope to see you all next week.